Ephesians still will be there all summer, good Lord willing. Ephesians chapter 3, as Corey has read. And these first 13 verses. And I'd like to draw your attention to verse 1 and verse 13 to just kind of get started. And then we're going to look at Paul's story, okay, before we dive into the rest of that text. But I want you to notice in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, you have the Apostle Paul who simply says, for this reason. Now if you let your, your eyes follow down a little further to verse 14, Paul uses those same words, for this reason. And most uh, Bible scholars think that what Paul's doing here is in verse 1, he was going to begin to pray for the church in Ephesus. He was going to say, for this reason I bow my knee. But he got sidetracked. Now, he got sidetracked because the Holy Spirit guided him, because this is God's Word, and it's, the Scriptures tell us that, that they were moved by the Spirit of God as they wrote this thing. But he had something that he thought was very important to say. And at first glance, as I was looking at this, I wondered, why is this here? Why is this so important? And as, as I wrestled with it this week, I, 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 I thought, Paul actually tells us. He says in verse 1, he's a prisoner. And in verse 13, he says, he, he's suffering. So he's a prisoner. We're, we've already known that. He's a prisoner. He's suffering. And so why does he pause and tell us this? Well, he carries on. Did you notice? He's a prisoner of Nero. Correct? Is that what the text tells us? No. He's a prisoner of who? Jesus. Well, technically, he's a prisoner of the Roman Empire. He's heading to, to see Caesar, and the Caesar of the day was Nero who would eventually be the one who would put him to death. But he says, actually, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I think the point is, he's very clear that I'm not here by accident. This was planned, this was purposed. Jesus is, is actually the one in control. And we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit more. But he's, he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of who? The Gentiles. So he says, I'm here for you. Well, that's uh, encouraging, getting this letter, and Paul's saying, hey, I'm in prison for you guys. That's, it. that's essentially what he's saying. But then at the, at the end, in verse 13, it's kind of like he bookends what he, all these things he says. In verse 1, he says, I'm a prisoner for Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. And then in verse 13, he says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. And I think the point of why he's writing these, this, these 13 verses is he doesn't want them to lose heart. He doesn't want them to become discouraged. He doesn't want them to quit. He doesn't want them to pack it in. Now, I think to understand Ephesians, and particularly this passage, it would be really helpful if we just stop and remember the story of Paul. 
Now, you don't have to turn there, but I would encourage you this week to take some time and read the story of Paul. But in Acts chapter 9, we are greeted, well, we meet Paul earlier, but we really meet Paul in Acts chapter 9. You probably have heard the story, but if not, just sit back and listen. Paul the Apostle was Saul, a zealous Jew. And he was intent on putting to death, we're told that he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Acts chapter 9. He was instrumental in putting to to death Stephen, the, the great deacon of the church. And, and we're told that he got permission by the religious leaders to go to the city of Damascus and to continue to do the same, to grab the men and women who were following Jesus and bring them back to Jerusalem, probably for their death, certainly for imprisonment. This was Paul's zealous activities. And then as he's heading to Damascus with a group of people, a great light shines. He's struck blind and he hears a voice. And what was that voice? It was the voice of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And and Paul says this. Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now just stop and think about that. Who was Paul persecuting? The Christians. But Jesus tells him from heaven, as he strikes him blind, he says to him, you are persecuting me. Now what does Paul tell the Ephesians? He says to the Ephesians that you are the body of Christ. and, 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 and And Jesus fills them, right? And I think when Paul's thinking of the church in Ephesus, he's, he's saying, this, these people, they are the body of Christ. They, this is Jesus. He puts the two together because that's what Jesus did when he first met him. Now, we're told that Apostle Paul was told to go into Damascus, and there he would be told what to do from there. A little later in in Acts chapter 9, we're told this. He, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Before Paul embarks on any missionary journeys, God made it very clear, Jesus made it very clear, that your task would be to go to the Gentiles and go to kings. And yes, go to the nation of Israel. But that's going to be his job. And, he says, you must suffer. How would you like that as your marching orders? You're going to suffer. Here's your task. And he was supposed to take this message to who? To the very Gentiles that he was troubled that the Christians were following now many years later we're told in acts chapter 20 this is at the end of paul's third missionary journey so it's several years later paul's on his way back to jerusalem 
And Paul comes to an island called Miletus. And he stops there and he, and he greets the, the, the elders of the church of Ephesus. They come and they plop in with him. Paul had, had already spent three years in Ephesus. The church had begun. It was quite likely thriving. And Paul begins to warn them of different things. They speak into each other's lives. Um, but something Paul says, he says to these elders, he says, in every city that I go in, the Holy Spirit testifies that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So Paul's telling these elders, you know what, I'm going to Jerusalem, but I've been told and I've been warned by many via the Holy Spirit that I'm headed for prison and I'm headed for afflictions. And then Paul will tell these elders, you will not see my face again. And then we're told in the text, verse 36 of chapter 20, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all of them. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Sometimes when we read a, a book like Ephesians, we forget that it's actually a letter. Now, it's a little different than the letters I wrote Lynn when I was younger but it's still a letter. It, 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 Paul is writing to people he loves. And the people who are reading this, uh, not everybody would have known Paul because the church was growing and it was a thriving city. And so there was others, many probably, who heard about Paul. But a lot of these individuals who had received this goes, you know what, just like he said, he's now imprisoned. Just like he said, he's now suffering. Just like he said, we probably will not see his face again. And so as they're reading this letter, I, I think as Paul writes this letter, Ephesians chapter 3, he had just finished writing and saying something to the effect of, it's in him, you also, you the church in Ephesus, are being built together into a dwelling place for God, for, for God by the Spirit. I think Paul pens those words and he's just thinking, God's building His church, and I miss those people. I love those people. I remember those, those individuals who, who wept when I said goodbye. Like this, Paul, the Apostle Paul is, is probably one of the most relational people. If you read the text, it's just like the relationships just ooze out of his, out of his letters. And I think as the Ephesians are reading this letter, they're, they're, they're weeping. They're going, well, Paul's in prison. We're not sure if he's in Caesarea on the way to Rome or if he's actually in Rome when he's writing this. But he's at the end of his life. I think it's... With those things in mind, I think... We stop and pause and go, ah, Paul's in prison. And he doesn't want them to lose heart. He doesn't want them to give up. He doesn't want them to go, it's, what, what, it's, is it really worth it to follow Christ? Does it really matter? 
And so what he wants to do is encourage them. And he actually wants to redirect their gaze from his imprisonment to the very place that Paul's gaze is. And that's what the middle section of verses 1 through 13 is all about. And really, I think Paul wants to direct their gaze to two, two gracious gifts that God has given Paul and two gracious gifts that God has given us. And so this text is not just for the church in Ephesus. This text is for us. Notice in verse 2, the Apostle Paul says, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Notice, let your eyes go down to verse 7. He says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me. Twice Paul uses that phrase, God's grace that was given to me. Same phrase, identical in the original language. Grace is a gift. Grace is something that I don't earn. Grace is something, it's come to me, not because of something that I've done, but just because God's kind. And what are those two things? The first thing Paul says is, this grace that was given to me is a mystery. He says, I want you to know, basically he's telling these people that I've been graciously been given a mystery. A mystery has been revealed to me. Now, for most of us, when we hear the word mystery, we think of something that's dark, it's secretive, you can't quite understand it, you can't quite figure it out. But when you look at the mystery in the Scriptures, it once was dark and, un- and nobody knew about it, but it's now revealed and we know about it. And that's what Paul's saying. Something that nobody understood, nobody knew, nobody could have seen coming, God has opened the eyes of certain people, and now they and we know. Okay? What is that? Well, who, first of all, it was revealed to the Apostle Paul, but in verse 5 it was also revealed to the holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. So the early church leaders, Peter and James and John, and they, 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 were, they were showing this, and, and the Apostle Paul was showing this. What was it? Verse 6. What's that mystery? Paul very clearly tells us this mystery is that the Gentiles and fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So that's the mystery that was revealed. Now, Zach, I've, I think I've got that temple from last week. Remember that temple? I didn't bring my little pointy guy. But see that wall on the edge? Remember we called that the wall of hostility last week? The Gentiles could not pass that wall. If they passed that wall, they were subject to death. And archaeology, we found a couple of those actual plaques that have that. That wall was four and a half feet high. It was just enough to keep the Gentiles out. Jews could come in. Gentiles could not. And nobody before the time of Paul would have understood that that wall would have been torn down. Nobody would have understood that, that, that there would be a new humanity, a new body, a new people, both Jews and Gentiles, who were now the people of God. 
the Old Testament pointed to that the Gentiles would be blessed, but the fullness and the understanding of this, this idea that they would be, that they'd be one because of what Christ had done, that was a whole new thing. And Paul is saying, I'm in prison because this mystery has been revealed to me and it was revealed to the apostles and the prophets. And, and I've revealed this to you as he unpacked last week. And he says, this is a gracious gift that I don't deserve. And what's the greatest invention of all, huma- all, all humanity? Some would suggest it's a wheel. What's that? Yeah? My father-in-law thinks it's electricity. But I think the wheel would have to somehow come first, but he, he ga- gathers that. But this mystery that God revealed to us is bigger than any of those. It has a greater impact. We'd be without hope if we, if we as a people had no means of coming and being in the presence of God. We'd be, we'd be without hope. And so Paul, who's in prison, is not sorrowful and is not depressed and is not discouraged, and he wants the people in Ephesus to know you know, I've been revealed this mystery and, and my job has been to go around and tell everybody about this mystery and that's why I'm in prison, but it's a good thing. This is, this is, this is a sweeter deal than the wheel. Apostle Paul in verse 6, he says this mystery, he actually makes up three words. Paul tends to do that. At least we can't find anywhere else where they're used. Now, he takes words that actually exist in the Greek language and he sticks them together. But he says these Gentiles are fellow heirs. That would be us. That would be us. we've We've been blessed as his children... And, and, and we are heirs to his kingdom. That should stoke the fires. The Apostle Paul says not only that, he says, you are members of the same body. You're one family. God dwells in your midst together. That should excite us. That should thrill us. We've been adopted We've been grafted in. He uses all kinds of language through the Scriptures. But that's, that's what God has done for us. And we were dead in our transgressions and sins. We were under the wrath of God. We were children of wrath, chapter 2 tells us. Oh, we should be amazed at this. And if it doesn't amaze us, the problem is with us, not with the message. Apostle Paul carries on partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, that promise is all kinds of things, right? Redemption, adoption, forgiveness, inheritance. We've talked about those things. Paul says, guess what? Don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. This is for your glory. This is your glory. 
So Paul draws their attention to the gracious revelation of a mystery that is of utmost significance. But Paul doesn't stop there. He then goes on and says, not only was I a gracious recipient of God's grace in this mystery that was revealed, but I'm a gracious recipient of God's grace in the fact that I am a minister in proclaiming this mystery. And that's what he does in verses 7 down to the end of the section. He says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, a minister. I was made as a servant. I was made as one to go and proclaim this. He goes on, verse 8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. He was the one who was killing these people. He says, I don't deserve this. Of, Of all people, I don't deserve this. And what was I given? What was my ministry to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? Can I challenge you people, all of us? If Jesus and what he's done doesn't thrill your soul, then may I encourage you to make it your prayer Father, would you open my eyes to behold the beauties and the wonders of the gospel? Would you help me understand and see with clarity how beautiful and rich and wonderful you truly are? Lord, help me to see what what my blessings are because of what you've done. Would you open my eyes to those things? Because if you're like me, if there's a stake in front of me, I can clearly see that this is a wonderful, tremendous gift that I've been blessed with. Because I can touch it, and I can taste it, and I can eat it, and it's like, oh, that steak is good. I know how to enjoy a steak. But I need the Lord to open my eyes to know how to enjoy Him. I need the Lord to open my eyes to know how how to enjoy the God who made me and the God who saved me. this gospel I was made a minister to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ he says to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery he says not only was it a mystery and was revealed to me and it was revealed to the apostles and prophets but he says it's been my job and quite frankly the job of the apostles to, to, to take this mystery and to reveal it to the rest of the world and in fact that's why I'm in prison Well, I'm to bring this to light. We've been doing that ever since. That's the job of every believer. The person we work with, our neighbor next door, our children, our grandchildren. Our job is, is to not only know this Jesus, but to, to bring to light, to show them, to point those around us who this Jesus is and what he's done for us. Apostle Paul carries on in verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I don't really understand this verse. I think that's the point. Somehow, as we are sharing this message and as this message of Jesus is changing our lives and changing the lives of those around us, 
the angelic beings, and I quite frankly think the demonic beings, as we look at chapter 6, the way this, these words are used, are looking at the body of Christ and going, they're wowed. They're amazed at the grace of Jesus Christ. And I think it's going to take us eternity to understand what Paul just said in that verse. But somehow God is taking what's going on among us right here this summer. They're going, the angelic world is watching and going, God, you are amazing. You're astounding. And they're praising him. At least the angels are. And the demons are in fear. Verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. This was God's plan from the beginning. And so Paul's sitting in prison going, this is God's plan. Paul's eyes are diverted not from what's going on in front of them, but going on bigger picture. And he's amazed at what God has done for him. And, and in that light, that's how come Paul can praise God, and that's why Paul can so gloriously pray for others selflessly rather than being self-absorbed and crying out, woe is me, I think I'll go to the park and eat some worms. Paul doesn't do that. Apostle Paul... Loves God and loves others. In light of that, he says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. He says, we got to go into His presence. No more walls. No more temples. We are the temple. And so in light of all that, Paul says, so I ask you not to lose heart. We're not in prison. At least none of you are. Maybe some of us are. Maybe that's why some aren't here. But you guys, I'm preaching to the choir. You're not in prison, right? But I'm sure each of you had something this week that's like, ah, that wasn't, that wasn't so good. Or if you didn't this past week, thank the good Lord but you probably had a week like that or you will have a week like that. And this group probably will not go to prison for proclaiming Jesus. Our problem tends to be that we fail to proclaim Jesus even though it doesn't mean we will go to prison. We just sometimes fear what others think. But James says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet, meet, when you meet trials of various kinds. Paul's in prison for proclaiming his faith. But each of us has gone through things, or we're, our heart aches over certain things. There's various trials that, that stand before us. And the Apostle Paul, I believe, looks at us and says, don't lose heart. 
But how do we not lose heart when we look at what's going on around us? How do we not lose heart when, when there's someone we love that's sick? Uh, how do we not lose heart when, when, when there's financial issues? How do we not lose heart when uh, someone we care for is the, the relationship has been broken between us? How do we how do we not lose heart when we turn on the news and go, oh my goodness, the, the world's going to hell in a handbasket? How do we how do we not lose heart when? How do we not lose heart? We don't lose heart by, by stopping and remember the, the incredible grace that God has given to us through Jesus Christ. My eyes have to move from the steak in front of me. Now I'm getting hungry. I shouldn't talk about steak. My, my eyes need to move from that steak or the problem that's in front of me, and my eyes need to move to Jesus and remember His incredible grace my prayer for you that's our only hope how did we start this morning the passage I've been memorizing this week and obviously I don't have it down I lift my eyes up to the hills where does my help come my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth let's pray father You are the great creator. You made heaven and earth. But not only did you create, but God, when we walked away from you, when we rebelled against you, when we wanted nothing to do with you, you, Father, were gracious, and you paid for our penalty through your son Jesus. But not only did you do that incredible work, but, Father, you allowed us to be part of the family. You allowed us to be part of this new kingdom. You allowed us to, 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 to become this new temple. When Paul was writing this to the Ephesians, he was thinking of people he loved that was, was being added to his church, your church. Father, the reality is we're continually adding, seeing people added to the church, your temple. May we be overwhelmed by what you've done for us. May we... we greater clarity understand all the implications of that and father i pray that we would always be amazed at your grace may our eyes not look to the hills but may our eyes look to the creator may our eyes not look to our various trials but father may our eyes may our eyes look to our savior jesus christ your name we pray. Amen. Every week we, we continue to gather around the table because 